0: Don't wait. Visit sono, sonobello.com slash save. com slash save. com slash save.
1: Hi, this is Bill Federer from AmericanMinute.com wishing Rob McConnell and all the members of the X-Zone Nation a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year.
2: Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. It's Christmas time. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. I think that we've lost the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas is a time to be with family, to be with friends, to 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 look at the world and see. You know what? We're all part of this beautiful planet together. Let's let's work in unison. Let's let's do things together and uh, get back to basics. You know, do you really have to spend eight, nine hundred? $1,000 per child at Christmas just because you feel guilty? And you know what? This is what buying toys in that amount really equates to. Guilt. And uh, you know, just before we get on to our next guest, who I'm dying to talk to, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the price of gas, and, and one of our callers said, raise the price of gas. It's not that simple. Let's take uh, a family who has uh, mom and dad working. They have two cars because they have to have two different jobs. They have four children at home, and they use oil for their heating fuel. Well, if you raise the price of gas, mom and dad are going to pay more at the pumps. The, their uh, their salary is not going to go up. The price of their heating fuel is going to go up. And who's really suffering? It's not the oil industry that's going to suffer. Forget it. What you're doing is you're putting the burden on the public. And this mom and dad are going to have less money, disposable income, that they can spend on their family. That is not right. I think uh, there has to be a way that this can be turned around and be made into a win-win situation. For every lemon, there's a way of making it into lemonade, and I think that the powers to be, as well as the consumer advocate groups, The Chamber of Commerce and the different government organizations can make a difference if they just would really try hard enough. It's that simple. And then what's going to happen in 2010 when the North American Union comes into effect? What's going to happen to the price of gas then? When this big, massive corridor that goes all the way from Mexico across the United States and across Canada, what's going to happen then to the price of, of diesel fuel and gasoline? How's that going to affect the economy the cost of food, the cost of clothing. Has anybody given this any thought? And if they have, why in the name of heaven aren't they doing something about it? Come on, guys, let's get proactive here. I'm not saying a riot. I'm not saying, you know, do anything that is illegal. I'm saying use the God given talents that we have in our brains to come up with creative solutions. We need more thinkers. We need people to to put what talents they have to good use. We need people to solve problems, and we can solve problems. We are a problem-solving society that's gotten a little lazy. When it comes to uh, war, boy, do we ever come up with great ideas for new weapons, tactical weapons, aircraft, armored vehicles. Boy, oh boy, are we ever good at that. But when it comes to taking care of John Q. Public, we suck. We really do. We need to get our butts back into gear, working for the consumer, bringing down prices but increasing the quality of products. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with my guest for this hour. We're going to be talking about God. Can can we prove God is real? Well, this award-winning scientist will reveal to us the exonation his scientific formula that proves there really is a God. And if you'd like to give us a call and uh, talk with us, one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five. 528 8255 That's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at 1-877-528-8255. My wife asked me one-on-one for Christmas today, and I said, a gas card with 50 bucks of gas on it. What else do you do? I'll be back. Don't go away.
0: Silver bells, silver bells
3: It's Christmas time in the city
2: Ring the light, hear them ring Soon it will be Christmas
3: day Sidewalks,
1: busy sidewalks, dressed in holidays.
2: And welcome back, everybody. I guess one way to beat the price of gas is we all get ourselves uh, Flintstone vehicles and use our feet. Our special guest this hour is J.G. Lenhart. And uh, J.G. is an award-winning chemical engineer. He has applied the formulas and principles that guide his scientific success to a new application, Proving God's Existence. J.G. outlines uh, those principles in his new book entitled, Modeling God. Now, while you may not recognize his name, you'll certainly recognize many of the products uh, J.G. formulated in the laundry detergent and household soap industry. Uh, Le- uh, J.G. created Liquid Purex with bleach alternative, Liquid Purex Free and Clear, and Liquid Purex with f- with uh, fabric softener. He also created the Ultra versions of those liquid detergents. Uh, uh, Let me see, uh, J.G. was awarded the 1990 Dow Chemical Central Research Inventor of the Year Award for creating solutions that allow pesticides to be formulated without harmful solvents. He has a B.S. in chemical engineering and chemistry from Clarkson University. And uh, J.G. Lenhart, welcome to the Exxon. How are you, J.G.?
1: Thank you for having me on. It's
2: great having you on. Uh, J.G., Is there really a God?
1: (laughs) Yes, there is. All
2: right, tell. I'm very intrigued about your your formula for proving God.
1: Well, what happened is is I found, um, I've spent the last 20 years using four principles to solve multimillion-dollar problems and create predictive models. Mm -hmm. And about 12 years ago, I applied those four principles to um, figuring out if God exists and what God's identity is. And basically, one of those four principles is causality, cause and effect. Right. Every cause, there's an effect. Yes. We see effects around us, so therefore, there had to be a first cause. Mm -hmm. And that first cause is, quote-unquote, God. Now, every question I get after that statement is actually about God's identity, not God's existence. And that's the mistake people make about proving God's existence. They're actually trying to prove two things. They're trying to prove a first cause, and they're trying to prove the identity of that first cause. And when people can find a contradiction in the identity, the whole thing gets thrown out the window. Mm. So basically, a first cause exists. An evolutionist, an atheist, a religious person, everybody believes in the existence of the first cause. Yes. Now, what is that first cause? Some people say it's randomness. Some people say it's "Quote unquote, God. It's God, no matter what. But who is God? The discussion now becomes God's identity. After that point,
2: and is this where we're going wrong?
1: Where where we're going wrong? Yes, the God's identity is is basically every explanation for God's identity is contradictory. Mm -hmm. And if it's contradictory, then He doesn't exist.
2: But you say He does exist.
1: Because I have the non-contradictory uh, identity of God. Now, I'll give you an example of a contradictory one. Okay. God cannot be all the time completely just and all the time completely merciful. How would he handle a criminal? If He's all the time completely just, he'd, pun- he'd punish him. If He's all the time completely merciful, he'd have to let him go. Therefore, God cannot be all the time completely just, all the time completely merciful. God's identity is God is all the time completely right, and all the time completely just. And if you look at that definition, right is a qualitative characteristic of God. Any other qualitative characteristic you give me will either limit or contradict right. Just is a quantitative characteristic of God. Any other quantitative characteristic you give me of God will either contradict or limit just. God has a lot of attributes. He's loving, kind, merciful, etc. All of those attributes are dependent on right and just, and that's the problem people have with God. They start the, uh, well, if God loved me, why da-da-da-da-da? Well, now they're making love above right and just.
2: Hmm. Uh, all right. So basically, we are looking at for the answer of who is God, or if there is a God, with an oxymoron um, basis. Because right,
1: and... It, Right. The, the thing is is that a lot of people, what they do is, they, they like uh, Stephen Hawking, yes. their argument against the existence of God is they'll always start with something tangible. And the problem with something tangible being God is the first question you can ask is, well, what made the tangible stuff? Well, th- then that's not obviously not the first cause. The first cause had to be something that's real and intangible, and therefore it would create with tangible.
2: All right, so what, what would happen if we said that we were created and it all started with the Big Bang? That would be the cause.
1: But the, what created the matter that had the Big Bang? That, that's where that comes in. And what's funny about this, you know, and I'm a scientist, what's funny about scientists is they always want to start with something tangible. Mm-hmm. They always want to say, well, matter always existed, now what caused the matter to move or do whatever what mattered money but,
2: but how do we know matter always existed
1: it, it didn't and that's what's funny about these scientists is you could talk to any scientist and they will tell you that everything you see tangibly is guided by intangible principles they'll tell you about gravity mm-hmm. or acceleration and they'll try to convince you that what you're seeing is the effect of something intangible but then when you turn around and say God's something intangible but real, they suddenly go, no, that that doesn't work. Really, you base your whole science on principles which are real and intangible, yet God couldn't be a principle. That's why God could always exist. Right and just have always existed. Even if things weren't right and just, the concept of right and just has always existed.
2: Now, what are monoletics?
1: Monoletics are those four principles that, that essentially solve every problem. You were talking about problem solvers, and that's yes. really, really what I do. About 12 years ago, like I said, I was watching the History Channel, and I was noticing that every single problem that has ever occurred throughout history, and it doesn't matter in what discipline, uh, religion, politics, math, science, medicine, the military, every mistake that's ever happened throughout history, one or more of these four principles have been violated. And if you want to solve any problem can be solved if you apply all four principles.
2: And what are they?
1: Well, the first principle, probably the most important, is contrastive thinking. And what that is, is all we know for sure is what isn't true. Okay?
2: Okay. If you
1: think about that, that's the opposite of the way we normally think. And, And one thing I want to say about these four principles, everybody in the world uses these four principles perfectly on everybody else. And everybody in the world avoids applying these four principles to themselves. When someone says something, we're all instantly contrastive. We all try to prove that person wrong. But whenever we say stuff, we get comparative. We try to prove ourselves right.
2: <laughs> Isn't that the truth?
1: And, and the example is, is if I drove a Corvette, but I wanted to convince you I drove a Camry, I would only tell you information that was similar or compares between a Corvette and Camry. But you wouldn't know for sure if I drove a Corvette. However, the minute I say one thing wrong, you know one thing different between a Camry and a Corvette, you know for a fact I don't drive a Corvette. Contrastive thinking is the solution to world peace. How about that?
2: Then why don't we use it?
1: Because our, naturally in the flesh is what we want to do is we want to be comparative. If every person in the world actively proves their own beliefs wrong. We would never have another disagreement. And every disagreement starts out like this. Rod, let me tell you where you're wrong. That's me being contrastive on you. What every I thought person, that
2: was you being my wife.
1: But <laughs> every person should do is try to prove their own beliefs wrong. Whatever they can't be, prove wrong must be true. It's funny. If you look at the beginning of the Bible, mm-hmm. evil was let into the world through, contra- through comparative thinking. Eve was told the apple, if she eats it, she'll die. That's the contrastive fact. However, she looked at a- apple and came up with three good things: pleasing the eye, good for food, makes one wise. And she took a bite. You cannot be evil if you're contraptive. It's impossible. And I don't know if you're familiar with those Sudoko puzzles, those number puzzles.
2: Yes, I yes.
1: I always ask people I, when I speak at colleges. In the college kids are really used to that stuff, yeah. use those puzzles. I'll ask them, "How do you know when you can put a six into a certain box for sure?" And they'll say, when you know it, doesn't go anywhere else. That's contrastive thinking.
2: I think, therefore, I'm not.
1: <laughs> Paul, in the, in the Bible, Paul wrote contrastive. That's what makes his writing so powerful, but so hard to understand. In, in, in a short book like Thessalonians, within a, a, a sentence he's contrastive. He'll essentially say, I know D is true because it's not A, it's not B, it's not C. In the bigger books, like Hebrews or Romans, mm-hmm. he's spending the entire book proving D is true by spending chapters proving A, B, and C aren't true. And he's even sort of self-aware that he might get quoted out of context. So he'll say in parentheses, a, you know, he's trying to prove A to be true, and he can't. And then he'll say in parentheses, I'm speaking like an idiot. I'm speaking like a man. Don't quote me that I really believe A is true. I'm trying to show you it's not. That's the way you, that's what science truly is science tries to actually a, a real scientist tries to disprove the theory and if he can't disprove it it must be true
2: do you think there'll ever become there will there'll ever come a time when science and spirituality will work together
1: they're supposed to um, spirituality is a belief system mm-hmm. science is not a belief system science is a tool for determining truth since the beginning of time religion has always used science as a tool for determining truth. Now, religious leaders may not have liked the answers they got, so they killed the scientists or killed the information, but when people try to make science a belief system, they're really hiding behind science with, a, with their own belief system. Science is a tool for determining truth. And every time I hear a scientist or somebody talking about it being a belief system, they clearly don't know what they're talking about.
2: J.G., stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Fascinating uh, discussion. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. J.G. Lenhart's our special guest. His uh, website is www.modelinggod.com, and his book is available at www.amazon.com. If you'd like to give us a call and uh, speak to J.G., one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. At one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five, I just received an I.M. from one of our listeners, and I'm chuckling because they say, "Sure, Rob, I can see it now. We go to the Flintstone cars, and we hurt our feet. And with the way our medical society is taking care of us, we'll never get out of the hospital, and we'll be back in another Stone Age." True, but at least you won't be paying a dollar three per liter. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network exclusively. And uh, we're coming to you live from our studios in Hamilton. Don't go
3: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them.
4: And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito or hash browns. Choose two for 250. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great news. For a limited time, you can get 1 month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, 1 month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and AutoPay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.
3: My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario...
2: Hi, my name is Blonda, and you're listening to my dad, Rob McConnell, on the X Zone. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell.
1: Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from Astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell.
0: Welcome
2: to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. <laughs> They were the good old days when all the kids wanted was a hula hoop or a slinky toy. Now, 877 528 one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell, and my special guest is J.G. Lenhart. And uh, J.G., it's great having you with us. Uh, you've got a number of people listening around the world who are saying, "Okay, give me, give that to me one more time."
1: <laughs> okay. Um, God is all the time completely right and all the time completely just. And every characteristic of God, his love, compassion, mm-hmm. everything, is dependent upon right and just. Every person who has a problem with God right, is basically saying, I think God's great, but in my case, I think he was wrong or unjust.
2: Oh, okay, now. I've
1: seen people spend four and five years of their life trying to prove that God was wrong or unjust in their case. Mm-hmm. When we show them that he can't be wrong or unjust, it, literally in an hour, they'll, they'll they'll essentially realize from God's point of view, they must have done something wrong or unjust. And when they fix that, we've, we've essentially saved four or five years of their life.
2: Right. Okay, now you say God is just? Yes. and And God is always right? Yes. Okay. Now, if we were made in God's image, then how come we're not?
1: We have that desire. It's a great question. We have that desire to be right and just. If you think about it, you don't have to... None of your callers have to learn to want to be right. And none of your callers have to learn to get upset when things are unjust against them. Okay. Every person has that desire to be right and just, but they can't do it. And the only way they can do it is essentially to let God do it through them.
2: All right, but who taught God how to do it?
1: God is right and just. He is those principles, and God cannot, and this is the part that throws people for a loop, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. God cannot act apart from being right or unjust. And the Bible actually says he cannot lie, but God is unable to be wrong or unjust. All right, now
2: earlier you said that, you know... um Matter was created by God, right? Right. Who created God?
1: Those principles have always existed. Right and just are causeless principles. There's nothing that would cause right or just. If you think about math for a second, mm-hmm. math is based on two principles, basically. This number is specifically this amount. Yeah. One is this amount. It's not 1.01. It's one. One. That's right. That number is right. There's nothing that explains that. That's causeless. And then the equal sign. An equal sign is just. This is equal. We know what wrong and unjust is based on right and just. Basically, math starts with this number means this, and here's an equal sign. And from there, everything you build and it builds and builds and you have calculus. All right, that's it's because we're we're with
2: God. that's because we're a binary society. We're based on zeros and one. However, when it comes to God, if matter was created by God, then who created God?
1: The right and just, like I said, these are causeless principles. Those are two But principles they
2: they are, are principles created by man to explain so, Yes. So if
1: anything, we if anything, we don't do those principles, and, and we have to sort of learn those principles. But right and just, things being right and being a certain amount and things being just or equal are true. Even if nothing was right, that principle would still exist because we'd measure against it.
2: All right, but that is a principle that was created by men. God did not create the principle, and if man is is uh, I- I- as we know is not perfect then we may have flawed with that formula and therefore the assumption or hypothesis that god is real could be flawed
1: i would say again causality proves there had to be a first cause and the only non contradictory explanation would be right and just men did not create the concept of right and just we discovered it there's a big difference between discovering the pacific ocean and creating the mm-hmm. pacific ocean no man created right and just they discovered it that's a big difference but and how but we and when we discovered it is the fact that we couldn't do it we discovered right because we're something we want that we can't seem to attain and we discovered just because when things are unjust we get ticked off we we didn't create those concepts. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about every person has inside of them that. They never had to be taught it. They never had to create it. It existed. And we just discover it within ourselves. That's a a big difference. There's a big difference. A lot of people accuse me of creating these principles, and I'm like, that would be great. If I Mm -hmm. created these principles, I'm the smartest person in the world. But I didn't. I discovered... That if you put these four together you can always find truth and throughout history you'll always find where a mistake was made
2: i understand that i understand that but what we what we are assuming at this point is is that we are perfect because we're not perfect. ah then how can we say with all certainty that these principles are real and they exist as you portray them to exist if we're not perfect <laughs>
1: We're not perfect, and, and what I was saying is the reason we know these principles exist is because we're unable to do them, so it's something we're striving for. One of, the, one of the things that I talk about is is how can Jesus be fully man and fully God? And I'll, I'll have teenagers ask PhD theologians that question, and they can't answer it mm-hmm. because you have to have a definition of man, and you have to have a definition of God. Jesus' mom being a person and his dad being God would make him half man, half God. If you understand that God is right and just and unable to act apart from that nature, that's the non-contradictory definition of free will, is ability to act apart from the nature. Man is not right and just, but is able to act apart from his nature. We are able to be right and just, but it takes an intentional effort. Nobody is naturally right and naturally just. There is no bridge between us and God. God is right and just. We are not. God cannot act apart from his nature. We can The only bridge would be a being who could act apart from his nature. Well. And in everything they did, they were right and just. That's why Jesus couldn't have been wrong one time, or we wouldn't have that bridge.
4: Okay,
2: now hold on. Let me just ask you this question then. Sure. If God is just and right all the time, mm-hmm. okay, let's just put that on the right hand, left-hand side for a second. Is murder good?
1: The thing is, is that I would yes, I would yes or no. ask the definition of murder because
2: someone there is killed no, wait. I'll
1: go with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says there is. I'm not no asking no C.S. One C.S. Lewis. I'm asking you. I would say it's possible for murder to be good. It if is. The how would you? How would you? Ju- how would you just?
2: How would you justify murder as being good? In, Taking well, the life well, what, of another. What is
1: that? Are you calling murder what happens in war?
2: No, sir. No, Are sir. Are
1: calling murder a capital punishment?
2: What I'm saying is, in the Bible, how many people did God kill because they did not follow his ways?
1: God always, that's a, it's a great question. And in the Bible, every time God moved for somebody, moved against somebody, uh-huh. didn't move at all, it was in response to justice. You could pull any, any example out of the Bible, and I could show you why he did what he did. All right un- here. Un- okay. Adjusted.
2: Let me give you this example then. Sure. When uh, God killed the firstborn son in Israel in, in Egypt. Yeah.
1: Good example. Why why good, would, good example.
2: why would he why would this be just homicide, kid, the killing of a child?
1: Because what happened was what happened was that God had Moses ask Pharaoh a question. Uh-huh. Okay. That question was not wrong. Okay? He said, hey, can we go out and worship God? And what happened was Pharaoh said, no, you can't. And then Pharaoh acted against the people. Pharaoh said, don't give him straw. Now, justice now says that if, if everything's going to equal out, Pharaoh deserves a punishment and the Israelites deserve, deserve a blessing. It's at that point that God says he's gonna harden pharaoh's heart a lot of people misinterpret that scripture that he reached in and made pharaoh do something against his will what's happening is God's now telling Moses here's the deal pharaoh thinks everything's equal but pharaoh is on the negative side of justice I am now God allowed to equal it out I can only respond to justice so God couldn't just kill people unilaterally he can't do that that'd be unjust but God can respond in response to justice. So now what God's saying is Pharaoh is on the wrong side of justice. I get to equal this out. And, what he, and he goes, I'm going to do that. He's going to think he's a, he, he deserves to equal it back out. He's going to lash out back, and I'm going to ramp this up. And so if you watch what happens at that point, God does whatever, the blood and the water to equal out. Pharaoh gets ticked off because in reality things are equal. He lashes out even more. God equals it out. He lashes out even more, Pharaoh does. God equals out, and it ramps all the way up of Pharaoh making a deal and pulling it back and making another deal and finally it ramped up enough that God said justice says I can now do this and he did it
2: yeah, but what justice was there for God killing the children
1: because it, it equaled, it's equaling out justice these people worked against them and at that point God said that, that the sins are down to the generation so what happens is it's in response to what they did, and yeah, Jesus. Now, what said, happens to those kids? You know, who knows what happens up there? They could, they could end up going to heaven. They could do other things, but they die here. That why is that a bad thing?
2: Why is that a bad thing? Are you serious? Yeah, the death of any child is bad.
1: They're they're victims of it's circumstances. Bad. It's bad here, but here's the thing: is if you read the Bible, Jesus actually said, oh, "Come on." That. It, what happens is you end up with more reward. Jesus actually said things equal out. We're so focused on this world and this temporary thing. Jesus actually said have treasures in heaven. It's a hard. There's a hard verse
2: Well, you tell that to a sentence. you. How would you explain that to the mother of a child who loses their life? Here I've, on I've this. I've
1: done that a lot. I've, I've I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of problems. And in the very beginning of the book, I talk about suffering because one of the principles of causality, cause and effect. Suffering is, not, suffering is either for a cause or effect. When I deal and counsel people who are suffering, uh-huh. what I ask them is, the first question I ask people is, did you cause the suffering? Because if, if you're suffering as an effect of something you caused, then you need to repair the cause to limit the suffering. When these people look me in the eye and say, I didn't cause this, then suffering is a cause, and the effect is if you handle it well, there's a reward toward you. I've talked to a lot of people, and I've said, would you read the end of the Bible, there's two judgments. Jesus had two messages. Jesus didn't have one message. There's a big danger in people combining these two messages. Jesus' two messages were, here's how to get to heaven, and here's how to have reward here and in heaven. When you combine those two, you start making reward versus salvation and that that's putting laws on people and that and you, that's putting you know what
2: you know what i i oh. i hate i hate to bring up this 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 parallel that that you that you've made and you know in in an age of terrorism you know we talk about the terrorists are are so free with their lives because they realize when they die and they commit an act like this that they go to have, they go, they got sixteen virgins or whatever the number is, right, and it's right. and it justifies the act. And yet, wait a sec, it's hold on, you're just a second, please. And you just got through saying before that the child, the children that died, you know, they went on to be- better things.
1: I don't. I said I don't know if they. So, did. but still. My something is I wrong with a society
2: the that, that actually goes along with that kind of thinking. I'm sorry. Something oh. is desperately wrong here.
1: But the thing is, with the terrorists, they're unilaterally hurting people, and they're not being contrastive. That that was the whole discussion about contrastive. Well, They're being comparative. They're making a judgment on other people, and if they're wrong, they're going to pay. What I'm saying is that in heaven, there's, there's, two, there's two judgments. If you read Revelation, there's a judgment where every person... They say they bring out the books, plural. Every person who's ever lived gets rewarded, and reward means to recompense both good and bad. You can be rewarded evil. Okay? You know. So what uh, happens is everybody who ever lived gets rewards plus and minus, and then a book is brought out, and the people whose name is in that go to heaven. You know, the, the thing um, is, is that when we get to heaven, if you're standing there with a pile of stuff, and I'm standing there with a little bit of stuff, and I look over to you and say, "Why does he have a pile?" God's going to end up saying
2: But we don't know that any of this is real. We are basing everything on faith. We are just basing it on faith. And faith is what is, your is
1: definition th-
2: of faith. Prove to me that there's a heaven. Prove to me that when we die we go to this you, you, utopia in the sky. This is based on a book that has been handed down generation after generation after generation. It is the greatest book that has ever been written. It has some wonderful stories in it and lessons for us to live to be better people. But when it comes to proof, there is none. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues on the Talk Star Radio Network. My name's Rob McConnell, and I'm not saying that there there is no God. I'm just saying that there's a lot of hypothesis here. There's a lot of wind blowing, but... I haven't seen any proof yet. We'll be back, don't we?
3: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that
4: friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2.00 price of participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal, single item at regular price.
0: Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.
2: Go away. take this opportunity of thanking all our guests tonight Dr. Georgina Cannon with the Ontario Hypnosis Center Cliff Mickelson the executive director and uh, chief science officer for the Morgellons uh, organization the New Morgellons Order Richard Clough he t- uh, told us why the gas prices are going up and uh, how much money the oil companies are making and JG Lenhardt is with us Lenhardt and we're talking about can We Prove God Is Real? On tomorrow night's show, we have Dr. Jason Rand, Ellen McDar, Elizabeth Joyce, and Cal Corf. Now, prove to our listeners that God exists in eight seconds.
1: Causality, cause and effect. For every effect, there was a cause, there was a first cause, that first cause is God.
2: Okay, and prove his identity in 15.
1: His identity is basically that there's causeless principles that had to be something intangible and causeless, and those intangible principles, uh, the causeless principles are right and just.
2: So what's his identity? Who is he?
1: His identity is always completely right and always completely just. One one of the things to make sure I get across here is that these four principles I used and and did all this stuff apart from the Bible. I'm not Mm. even using the Bible to prove this stuff. When I took these four principles and the model for God, and applied it to all these religions what i found was every religion believes god is right and just and every religion is a rationalization for why god is right and just and doesn't appear to be if you look you name any religion they will say god is right and just and they will say they'll have a rationalization for why he doesn't appear to be
2: but what about the religions who don't have a god
1: well i'm saying that whatever their first cause is they're going to say it's right and just because they're not going to say it was wrong. The, the point is is that what I did was I found that the Bible is the only book written according to these four principles, and when it's misinterpreted, it's when people use the opposite of those four principles. There's a lot more on my blog, which you can get, through, um, get to through the uh, website on modelinggod.com. But I did all this apart from the Bible, and when I used these four principles, I found that the Bible is actually non-contradictory if it is interpreted according to these four principles. Too many preachers use the opposite of these four principles, and it's pretty obvious why they're wrong.
2: That is assuming you're right.
1: That is assuming I'm right, and, and that would be proven by non-contradiction. That's another principle. If contradictions don't exist, conflicts do. But I under, but, that.
2: but from what I understand, God doesn't necessarily have to apply to the the uh, the the physics and the laws of men
1: God where did you learn that Church <laughs> Well there you go you know? if it's contradictory then you got to throw it out and that's really the ultimate goal is we all don't believe contradictions exist when someone thinks they're right what they're really saying is you said this then you said something contradictory contradictions don't exist, therefore you're wrong. We don't say all those words, Mm -hmm. but we all believe contradictions don't exist. J.G.,
2: we've run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Uh, For more information, you can go to J.G.'s website at www.modelinggod.com and his book is available on Amazon.com. Well, that's it for tonight. Hey, Superman and Master Control, thanks very much for getting us through another night, and for keeping us up on those three big satellites in the sky, Galaxy 4R, Telstar 7, and Aglia 2, and around the world on TalkStarRadio.com streaming audio. To my wife and senior producer, the lovely Laura Rogers, I'm coming upstairs, honey. Keith Friedman at Consolidated Streaming. Thanks, Keith. And to you, the XO Nation, thank you for allowing us to be part of your day or night, no matter where you are. I'll be back tomorrow night live. So until then, keep your eyes to the sky, your heart to the light, and Take care of each other. Bye-bye now. Let you out into the world. Ago, I money we
3: all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend,
4: this is us saying thank you.